Hi, and welcome to the Living Room Scripture Lessons. My name is Brad Constantine, and this podcast series is going to be about the book of Genesis. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to, to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. If you're interested in a deep analysis of the book of Genesis, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy what you hear here, and if you have any questions, you can share, link, and subscribe. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Genesis podcast. This is going to be Genesis chapter 37. We're going to now begin to talk about Joseph. The story of Joseph is important to the Latter-day Saints since most of us are literal descendants of Joseph through Ephraim. Uh, As Joseph Fielding Smith said, nearly every member of the church is undoubtedly a literal blood descendant of Jacob. Theodore M. Burton uh, said that, at the present time, most of those who are receiving the gospel are of the tribe of Ephraim, son of Joseph, and that was by Joseph Fielding Smith. So uh, Genesis chapters 37 to 50, except for chapter 38, cover the life of Joseph. So most of Genesis here is going to be covering, the remainder of, uh, of it will be covering Joseph. Verse 1, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, and this Hebrew means of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. This is the history of the generations or the genealogical lines of Jacob. Joseph, according to the interpreter's dictionary of the Bible, the name Joseph means to add or may God add as adding to one's life through a posterity. The Egyptian name given to Joseph was Zaphnath Peania, which experts say could mean God speaks or God reveals. Unger's Bible dictionary interprets that that name to mean sustainer of life. Others have felt the name Joseph is an adaptation of the name Asaf, meaning to gather. What we know about Joseph fits all of these interpretations very well. And that was by Robert Matthews. Uh, Continuing verse 2, being 17 years old, so we know Joseph was 17, the record does not mention whether he held the Melchizedek priesthood, but President Joseph Fielding Smith said he must have had the priesthood before he was sold, for he exercised it in the land of Egypt. Continuing verse 2, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, in other words, Dan and Naphtali, and, and with the sons of Zilpah, Gad and Asher, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. In other words, Joseph is tattling on his brothers. Now, I want you to think about this, that Joseph is being thought of here as what? As a spy, to spy on his brothers, that his father has sent them forth to spy on his brothers, and then he comes back and he tells his father all the bad things that the brothers are doing. So the fact that they consider him to be a spy, I want you to remember that as we get into the story of Joseph, because this is going to come back again uh, a little bit later. Verse 3, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. The Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the, of the Bible, indicates many colors, but the Hebrew term may indicate simply a long coat with sleeves. The Hebrew word denotes a long coat with sleeves, that is, an upper coat reaching to the wrists and ankles, such as noblemen and kings and daughters wore. One scholar suggested that it was a tunic reaching to the palms of the hands and soles of the feet, the long tunic with sleeves worn by young men and maidens of the, of the better class, In the case of Joseph, supposed by Bush to have been the badge of the birthright, which had been forfeited by Reuben and transferred to Joseph. If indeed this coat signaled that Joseph held the birthright, which may have been in question among the brothers because there were four four firstborn sons in Jacob's family, this fact would explain the intense hostility and jealousy the coat provoked among the, the other sons of Jacob. 
Jacob's 11th son was Joseph. As the eldest son of Jacob and Rachel, Joseph received the birthright when Reuben, eldest son of Jacob and Leah, lost it through unrighteousness. Verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Joseph was in danger in his own household. His brothers could not even speak civilly to him. He needed to go to Egypt to avoid their murderous intents. And, Joseph's, and Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. You can see from this that of Joseph's, Joseph's innocence that he doesn't think there's anything wrong with this. He just explains, as a matter of fact, here's a dream I had last night. I'm not sure that he understands the interpretation of it at the time he told them. Uh, he interprets dreams later, but I'm not sure he was by this time. Verse 7, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance, or bowed down, to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Remember that they're, uh, the older brothers are quite a bit older. There might be as many as... 18 to 20 years uh, difference between uh, Joseph and the oldest of the, of the sons. Verse 9, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to the, to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. In other words, Jacob would remember this dream later in his life. Verse 12, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And this is about 40 miles away. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said, and he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. So Joseph is going on uh, orders of his dad here. He's not being sent out as a spy. He's just going to see how things are going with his brothers and with the flocks. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brother, and tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And this is about another 12, 12 miles away. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer or this master of dreams cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. It was Reuben's intent to rescue Joseph out of the pit and, and restore him home, and perhaps that Reuben could re be restored back to the, be the birthright son. I think that might be what Reuben might be thinking here. Since jo Joseph is the favorite, if Reuben says he saved him, maybe dad will like him best. Verse 23, And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty, there was no water in it. 
A Greek writer has left us a graphic account of such wells and cisterns. He describes them as regularly built and plastered, narrow at the mouth, but widening as they, as they descend, till at the bottom they attain a, wide, a width sometimes of 100 feet. We know that when dry or covered with only mud at the bottom, they served as, a hiding, as hiding places and even as temporary prisons. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat bread and they lifted up their eyes and looked and behold a company. Notice how cold they are here. They've just cast their brother into a pit and they're eating. Behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, what profit is it if we slay our brother and counsel and conceal his blood? So Reuben is not present with them at this time. He's gone and doesn't know what deal is being made here. Verse 27, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is not, for is he not our brother? Or I'm sorry, for he is our brother and our flesh and his brethren were content or, or hearkened unto Judah. Then, they, then there passed by Midianites, merchant men, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. I wonder if uh, while Joseph is in the pit and being li lifted out, if he's thinking, oh, finally I get to be rescued. And then they turn around and sell him uh, to the Ishmaelites and, jo and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. You can imagine the cries that Joseph must be must be giving that you know, telling them, don't do this, don't do this. And yet they just uh, are cold toward this. The price received for Joseph, 20 pieces of silver, is the same price specified later in the Mosaic law for a slave between the ages of five and 20. Typically, the price for a slave was 30 pieces of silver. And that's the price that, uh, that Judas obtained for Jesus. Was it necessary for Joseph to be sold into Egypt for Joseph's sake? with brothers that would commit adultery or kill people, leaving may, leaving may have been necessary. As Edersheim said, may we not say that it was needful for the sake of Joseph himself that he should be removed from his present circumstances to where that which was holy and divine in him would grow and all of self be uprooted. But such results are only obtained by one kind of training, and that is affliction. Verse 29, and Reuben returned unto the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit and he rent his clothes and he returned unto his brethren and said, the child is not and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed the kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood and they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, this have we found, know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. Now we think that perhaps when they tore this uh, garment that Joseph may have kept half of it. Uh, to himself, and then the brothers got half to give to uh, Jacob. Verse 33, and he knew it and said, it is my son's coat, an evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. Now, as the brothers are talking, we think that maybe Jacob doubts their word, that these aren't uh, totally honest uh, people here, that they may have not been telling the truth, and he might be seeing through some of that. Uh, remember the dream that he had, that Joseph had about them obeying or, or bowing down to him has not been fulfilled. I wonder if, jo if Jacob remembers that. Hugh Nibley said, he is talking here about the shirt of Joseph and the two things. This is what he says. And when Joseph made himself known to his brethren, he asked them about his father. This is after the, the reunion. What happened to our father, Jacob? He was in Egypt and he was, in, he was the important man. The brethren had been brought before him and he said, what happened to my father after I left? 
They said he lost his eyesight from weeping. Then Joseph gave them the garment. He had the good half of the garment, which is called the, the kameez. Our word shemiz comes from that. And this garment was the garment of the Garden of Eden. It had the weave and the pattern of the jana, that is the Garden of Eden. It is usually rendered just as, as, uh, as paradise before man fell. It had in it the breath of the garden. This is important. They believed that garments retained their odor. A person would come in, would come to you and say, you come from Cor Cordoba. Let me smell the air of your garments that I may enjoy Cordoba. The idea is that the air is more important than water. They always talk about the air of a place before they talk about the water. I guess because they didn't have any water. They had very varieties of air so that it never, it never, uh, it never rotted. It used the word decayed. He saw the part that never decayed. The half he had was the part that never never rotted, never decayed, and its threads never deteriorated. That was its true state. It kept its true state. There are two there were two parts, the remnant of the coat of Joseph, which was preserved and had not decayed, whereas the other half shall perish even as the remnant of this garment. It was decayed and rotten. We'll hear about that one in a minute here. Joseph gave that garment to them. This is important. And this was a garment that had belonged to Abraham. The idea of a garment of many colors is an invention. If you look at your in your Bible, every time it mentions many colors, the word colors, even in the commentary, is in italics because it is part in, it is put in there by modern editors. It's found in no ancient in in no ancient source. It's not in garment of many colors at all. It's not a garment of many colors at all. A garment of certain marks is the term that's used here. We'll see what it is in a second. This garment had belonged to Abraham and it already had a long history. Its history was lengthy because it went back to the Garden of Eden. You see, that's the garment. It's the, it's the only one. Just as we treat the story of Cain and Abel, we trivialize this. We say Joseph was the youngest kid, so his father favored him and gave him a pretty garment of many colors. There is no mention in any ancient source of a garment of many colors. That's an invention of modern editors trying to explain it. But here it was the garment he gave him. He, it was the garment of the priesthood. No wonder they were jealous of him, they being the elder brothers and he the younger in the, in the patriarchal line coming down from Abraham. This garment had belonged to Abraham and had come down to Joseph instead of to the other brethren. You always get lost among these little tiny things here. And he said to them, go with this very garment and place it upon the face of my father and his sight will return to him. It's a miraculous garment and then come back to me and bring all the family with you. So they did. This is when the Israelites went into Egypt. They brought Jacob back with them and the whole family came back to Egypt. Remember the story of Joseph and his brethren. And when they had, when they had turned their faces toward Canaan and finally arrived there, their father Jacob said to them, behold, I detect in this garment the odor or the rhea is uh, the smell or odor. It's the same word as ruka and the English word uh, reek. It's, it means smoke. Reek, reeky is smoke. It's Rausch in German. They used it to call Edinburgh uh, because it was a smoky city. They burned coal there. It's the same word we use. The Hebrew word is the spirit, the Holy Ghost. The same word in Arabic is reha. It's always feminine. It also means wind. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, it has led to lots of controversy because when it talks about the re, does it mean spirit or wind? For example, in the story of Abraham in Egypt, an evil spirit has come, or is it an evil wind? The Jewish scholars don't like evil spirits, so they change it to evil wind. 
It can be real evil wind, or it can be read evil wind, all right, but it obviously means, and they admit it, an evil spirit came into, upon Pharaoh. Here we have, I detect, I perceive, I note, he's blind, you see, the odor, the spirit, the smell of Joseph. If you do not think me out of my head from old age, and this is uh, Brother Hugh Nibley speaking, by the way, and a bit balmy, it takes about the spirit, it talks about the spirit that is in it, the east wind that has brought it, etc. And this is a very important thing. When they placed it upon the face of Jacob, he smelled also the smell of the Garden of Eden. For behold, there is not in all the earth another garment that has that smell in it. This is, the, this is a unique thing. This is the garment. For there is not in any other garment on earth of the winds of the Garden of Eden, unless it is, in, unless it is this, this one garment. So you can see why the, the brethren were so jealous. It was the garment of the priesthood. The commentator says he recognized that it was Joseph's garment by feeling it first because it had three marks in it. What they translate as coat of many colors is first is first ketonet. One word, uh, one word cotton is related to that. Ketonet is a cotton shirt. The Hebrew is ketonet pasim. That means it reached down to the to his wrists and his ankles. The Hebrew actually tells us that it was of adequate length, a garment which is passive means a long garment which reaches down to the wrists and to the ankles. It's quite different from the other story. There's no mention of color there of any kind. The Vulgate says it was, and then he, he has a name here in Hebrew or whatever language it is, which meant <clears throat> it, it was worked very subtly with extra threads, meaning extra thread work, special embroidery, special technique. The Greek uh, he mentions the words here, means tattooed, embroidered, elaborate work. A derived term of poikula is of various colors with spots or dots, but it means with marks on something. Here it says he knew it became, uh, he knew it because it had three marks on it. He recognized it from the marks, of course. They couldn't have been colored marks because he was blind when he felt the marks. He recognized it as belonging to his son Joseph. Now let's see what we what we left out here. Oh, the garment was rent. There's no no tradition anywhere that the garment was rent, except the Arabs, again, uh, again have a famous story. A student was working for a, a master as an apprentice, and they said to him, does your master feed you well? Does he care for you well? The student says, verily, if any master owned a house full of needles, and Jacob came to him and begged for the use of a needle for one hour that it might sew up the torn garment of his son Joseph, he would refuse to lend it to him. That's the kind of man I'm working for. The point is that it takes for granted the torn garment that Jacob wanted to sew up, that Joseph's garment was torn in two pieces, in two parts. The one part was spoiled and one part never rotted. It belonged to Abraham and it went back to Adam. In the tradition, it was the garment of the garden and it had the marks on it. That's why Jacob recognized it. And that's why the brethren were jealous, obviously. It was the greatest favor he could possibly give him. This is a great thing. Here, here we get something in the Book of Mormon that really sews things up. Then it goes on to his dialogue with death. It says all this happened on Jacob's deathbed. This is a dialogue between Jacob and death, which is a very important incidental. It has to do with another subject. He says, let us remember the words of Jacob before his death. For behold, he saw that a part of the remnant of the coat of Joseph was preserved and had not decayed. It uses the very words here that there was no sakim, which means a weakening of fiber, a sickness, a breakdown of any kind. And he said, even as this remnant of, gar of garment of my son hath been preserved, 
so shall a remnant of the seed of my son be preserved by the hand of God. He makes this comparison. This is the other source. The people came running, rending their garments, putting them in a pile and stepping on them. That's Jonathan Smith's article, which was, to, which was in 1966. The first person to notice the importance of this treading of the garments was in 1966. All these things are here. These are old Jewish customs. And again, that was from uh, Hugh Nibley. Hope that wasn't too much for you. Verse 34, and Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. I hope that helps understand better uh, about this coat of many colors, that it may not have been colors at all, but a coat of markings. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into my grave, into the grave unto my son mourning. In other words, he, if, if Joseph is dead, then I will join him in the spirit world. Uh, thus his father wept for him, and the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer, or a eunuch, which often designates a royal official, of pharaohs and captain, or chief of the butchers or cooks, probably the chief of the guard, uh, chief, or maybe even the chief executioner. Uh, and then from Edersheim, he says, the scriptural history, uh, at least most of this. Let me, let me. I'll back up on who this is from until I find it here later. But let me read it to you. The scriptural history of Joseph opens when he is 17 years of age. Abundant glimpses into the life of the patriarchal family are afforded us. Joseph is seen engaged in pastoral occupations, as well as his brethren. But he is chiefly with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, the the maid of Leah, the maids of Leah and Rachel. Manifestly also there is ill feeling and jealousy on the part of the sons of Leah towards the child of Rachel. This must have been fostered by the difference in their, in their natural disposition, as well as by the preference which Jacob showed for the son of his beloved wife. The, and also that these other sons are probably younger than the older ones of uh, Leah, except for, I guess there's a couple of younger sons of Leah as well. The bearing of the sons of Jacob was rough, wild, and lawless, without any concern for their father's wishes or aims. On the other hand, Joseph seems to have united some of the best characteristics of his ancestors. Like Abraham, he was strong, decided, and prudent. Like Isaac, patient and gentle. Like Jacob, warm-hearted and affectionate. Best of all, his conduct signally differed from that of his brethren. On the other hand, however, it is not difficult to perceive how even the promising qualities of his natural disposition might become sources of moral danger. Of this, the history of Joseph's ancestors have, had afforded only too painful evidence. How much greater would be the peril to a youth exposed to such twofold temptation as rooted dislike on the part of brothers whom he could not respect and, and uh, marked favoritism on that of his father. The holy reticence of scripture, which ever tells so little of man and so much of God, affords us only hints, but these are sufficiently significant. We read that Joseph brought unto his father the evil report of his brethren. That is one aspect of his domestic relations. Side by side with it is the other. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, even if the coat of many colors which he gave to the son of his old age had been merely a costly or gaudy dress, it would have been an individual or an, an, in, an invidious mark of favoritism, such as too often raises bitter feelings in families. For as time is made up of moments, so life mostly of small action of I'm sorry, of small actions whose garments <laughs> Boy, I'm getting garments and smell here from what I said before. I'll read that sentence again. So life mostly of small actions whose greatness lies in their combination, but in truth it was not a coat of many colors, but a tunic reaching down to the arms and feet. 
such as princes and persons of distinction wore, and it belonged to Joseph's brothers only too clearly, it betokened to Joseph's brothers only too clearly, that their father intended to transfer to Joseph the right of the firstborn. We know that the three oldest sons of Leah had unfitted themselves for it, Simeon and Levi, by their cruelty at Shechem, and Reuben by his crime at the watchtower of the flock. What more natural than to bestow the privilege on the firstborn of her whom Jacob had intended to make his only wife? At any rate, the result was that his brethren hated him, till in the expressive language of the sacred text they could not get themselves to address him unto peace. That is, as we understand it, to address to him the usual Eastern sub, uh, salutation, peace be unto thee. Poole, in the article on Joseph Smith's, or on Joseph and Smith's dictionary, writes, The richer classes among the ancient Egyptians wore long dresses of white linen. The people of Palestine and Syria represented on the Egyptian monuments uh, as enemies of tribu or tributaries wore similar dresses, partly colored generally with a stripe around the skirts and the borders of the sleeves. This is the literal translation. It needed only an occasion to bring this state of feeling to an, op to an outbreak, and that came only too soon. It seems quite natural that, placed in the circumstances we have described, Joseph should have dreamt two dreams implying his future supremacy. We say this even while we recognize in them a distinct divine direction, yet scripture does not say either that these dreams were sent him as a direct communication from God or that he was directed to tell them to his family. The imagery of the first of these dreams was taken from the rustic, that of the second from the pastoral life of the family. In the first dream, Joseph and his brothers were in the harvest field, which seems to imply that Jacob, like his father Isaac, had tilled the ground and Joseph's sheaf stood upright while those of his brethren made obeisance. In the second dream, they were all out tending the flock when the sun and moon and the second and the eleven stars made obeisance to Joseph. The first of these dreams was related only unto his brethren, the second both to his father and to his brothers. There must have been something peculiarly uh, offensive in the manner in which he told his dreams, for we read not only that, he, that they hated him, yet the more for his dreams, but also for his words. Even Jacob saw reason to reprove him, although it is significantly added that he observed the saying. As we now know it, they were prophetic, prophetic dreams, but at this time they were no, there were no means of judging whether they were so or not, especially as Joseph had so worded them that they might seem to be merely the effect of vanity in a youth who's, who's, in whom favoritism had unduly elated. The future could alone show this, but meantime, may we not say that it was needful for the sake of Joseph himself that he should be removed from his present circumstances to where that which was holy and divine in him could grow and all of, the, and all of self be uprooted. But such results are only obtained by one kind of training, that of affliction. The sons of Jacob were, were pasturing their flocks around Shechem when patriarch sent, uh, sent Joseph to inquire of their welfare. Well, I think that's enough for tonight. We've read enough uh, her today or whatever time you're listening to this. Uh, it's enough about the story of Joseph this time being sold into Egypt. I know that these things are true and that as we talk about Joseph uh, and his great uh, spirit and, and uh, his willingness to do the right things. Now, the next chapter is going to be about Judah. And again, like I said before, this is going to be a juxtaposition of the types of characters between Judah and Joseph and uh, the examples that are being set here. And that's why there's so much 
being spent on Joseph in the remaining part of the book of Genesis. I bear testimony of the truth of the gospel and of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.